0: Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove.
1: All right, welcome back. Hello, I am your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you again for joining us for another exciting session of Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove, and we have another awesome, exciting guest and a great topic today. This is a topic that... We all have near and dear to our heart and cybersecurity, the threat of somebody hacking our email, getting our assets out of our bank account, uh, getting a, using our credit card to buy something we didn't authorize. So we've all been <clears throat> victimized by that to some extent. So we have our guest today, subject matter expert, Ben Graybar. Welcome back. You've been on the show a long time ago, so welcome back to the show And we are looking for some great, as I call them, nuggets of knowledge today on protecting ourselves against cybersecurity. And before you get started, I want to give you a shout-out. You've got the Crab Island at Destin, Florida in your background, so that's an awesome-looking backdrop. So that makes us think about good things, good times, and not cybersecurity and those bad threats. So welcome to the show, Ben.
0: I appreciate the opportunity to be here once again. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, it's good, and uh, want, let's give uh, – I know you've changed professions in the past few months, so let's just give a, a quick shout-out to where you are working now and what you are doing. So give us, give us an update on that.
0: Yeah, so uh, officially in April of this year, I became employed with Northwestern Mutual, the Gantt Financial Group specifically, so we do holistic uh, financial planning, and uh, we do both the insurance, the risk management side of it, and the investment side through Northwestern Mutual Investment Services, and then just really helping people roadmap out what retirement looks like for them. A lot of folks don't really have a firm understanding of that. And uh,
1: let's face it when you when you grow up in one camp, you tend up you tend to have one perspective.
0: And I think that there's value in having perspective from multiple places. And so I actually originally got licensed back in 1992 with Prudential. And then through a progression of, of, of roles within the bank has still been sitting in and participating in the financial planning pieces. So this is a continuation and focus on that. Uh, the only thing I can't do now is, uh, lend you money, uh, unless you've already got something with me here collateral wise.
1: All right. Well, good. Thank you for that update. And, um, tell it, tell us, I don't want to spend too much time on way back history, but. You've been doing this cybersecurity education for a long time. And I know you've gone to a lot of groups and you've given these updates and these presentations. And, you know, the uh, the benefit for you is that, or that you get, is there's always something new and cool and people are experiencing bad things in cybersecurity hacks. So you always get new material. But what what got you into this? What got you interested in this from the way back?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm looking at a slide on my side computer screen And it's a a letter from Anthem Healthcare dated February
1: 5th, 2015. I think I've got that. that. I can pull that up.
0: Yeah, there you go. And uh, that's that first slide on there. And what happened was uh, I had changed from one bank to another and was part of the Cobra and interim different
1: health plans. And Anthem, the macro parent company, Um, somebody
0: lost a laptop was my understanding that might not have been properly encrypted or password protected. And so they had to send out this notification saying, Hey, we've lost all of your identity stuff, not just an email, you know, so what if they got an email address, right? You hand that out on your business cards, but they lost on their birth dates, medical IDs, which have a high dollar value, social security numbers, your address, email address, employment and income information so pretty much everything that you would use if you got the phone with somebody and called up and said, uh, "Yeah, I want to change my account or open an account," they had everything they needed.
1: Yeah, I'm looking and, at that uh, now. Thought, I've got that pulled up on the screen. So that was February 5th, 2015, from Anthem. So you're right, man. That's that's got like every bad thing that you would want exposed to the public: names, birthdays, medical IDs, Social Security numbers, street addresses, email addresses, employment, and income. What Ben, I guess they didn't have your uh, DNA. Maybe that's what they didn't have. They had everything else. Blood type. Oh, have.
0: yeah. Blood type. Blood,
1: yeah, your blood. So, man, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and I thought it was only fitting that uh, I have a letter side-by-side with it dated August 14th. Uh, so, two weeks ago, basically, notice of data breach from UF Health from Blackbaud, which is actually a vendor that a whole number of medical universities use as one of the third-party vendors, and they had a breach. So I, uh, I was talking to somebody who had one of those letters from, I think it was Alabama, uh, and, and you can go to Blackbaud's website and look it up, but mine was from UF Health. So, you know, here we go again. That wasn't quite as extensive of a data breach, but still the database existing, and then it becomes a doorway, sort of a gateway drug for social engineering where they can use what bits and pieces of information they have and pretend that they know more and reach somebody who does know more in an attempt to get additional info and sort of work their way into the system.
1: Yeah, that was not too long. I mean, that was in July. So that's, uh, I guess, you'd, probably every one of us have been has had our data exposed. So if we haven't been taken advantage of, it's, it's either probably by sheer luck.
0: Yeah, I, it used to be... Um, where you tried to barricade, protect yourself and hide, you know, the guys that are trying to live off the grid and I think that just by virtue of the sheer number of data breaches that have occurred, which is incredible if you actually start to look into it now I kind of feel like a mackerel in the ocean and I'm just hiding in the school right. um, hoping that it's one of the peripheral ones that it gets picked
1: on Yeah, exactly, so <laughs> I guess that's a good way to look at it. You hope that, that in those situations maybe you're the you're the smaller fish, and 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 you're not going to be uh, you're not going to catch the attention of the people that's really trying to get the information.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we know that there are bad guys out there. We know that when they want to focus on you, they can. But this is really what's changed for the most part since we started doing this. It started off as you know who are the who are the super smart kids that know how to hack a system and maybe go after somebody and. Even if it was uh, international, they really didn't have a clue most of the time of what they were supposed to be asking for from somebody. They're like, "I'll take a thousand dollars. Is that too much?" And they're like talking to a hospital, huh. and I'm like, "No, we'll write you a check." You know, but then they call an individual and say, "Want a thousand dollars?" Like, well, "I only have two hundred dollars." Okay, I'll take that. Well, now it is nation states that really are organized and organized crime that. They're doing their homework and being patient for months or years, harvesting data so that when they pull the trigger, they're getting major payoffs. And so, for example, uh, insurance, when we started this, cyber insurance was really a thing that was being, it was evolving. And even the people that marketed cyber insurance coverage, they didn't really understand all the different nuances. And it's sort of named payroll coverage You think of Aflac for named peril. If I have an accident, I might have an accident policy. It doesn't pay me anything if I get cancer. If I have a cancer policy, it pays me if I get cancer. It doesn't pay me if I have an accident. Right. So cyber insurance, at least when it started, was named peril coverage. Now it's a lot more holistic and it's evolving, but that's the problem is that it's a lot more holistic and evolved and therefore publicly information is available for what the coverage types are and who has them. So the bad guys are researching sorts of things like when Wakala School District had a hack and they got, you know, a major payoff because they had a major policy in place. And so what I was telling people recently is, uh, you know, I'm on the board of a certain school that when we were getting cyber insurance and I said, whatever you budget for this, double it next year, because, so many claims are being you know, strategically requested where the payoff amounts are at the cap of the limit of what the insurance policy is. So it's not costing, you know, in this case, the school district didn't have to come out of pocket anything extra, to my knowledge, but it was a big policy. You know, we're buying million-dollar coverages for these sorts of things, um, and it's just like if you have an automobile accident, what are they going to ask for? you know, they're going to try to maximize whatever the insurance company's coverage portion of it is. Well, right. the more of those claims take place, the worse the experience rating, the more they have to charge in premiums, and, right. and so this becomes an evolving game.
1: Yeah, that is, that's, um, so even, my guess, when you mentioned the Wakala situation, so my guess, even though they 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 were covered in, in what that what the occurrence was, they they were still significantly inconvenienced, so they had a probably a tremendous loss of time and effort involved in that.
0: Yeah, you know, schools are tough depending on the time of the year, and you're trying to figure out what's the history of a kid, what class are they supposed to be in, you know, what do we need to know, but it's not necessarily a life and death thing. These things
1: get interesting when they get into the medical community, and, you know, Charles, what's your medical
0: history? You're supposed to go into surgery in a few hours, and your records just disappeared. Or you're in surgery, and we need to know, and now you just grew a blank' because everything got locked down. Now it's a life and death thing, and they're having a conversation about how fast can we get the records unlocked. That's a whole
1: different talk yeah that that's big stuff there let's I want to talk um we've had some instances recently at our firm where people have tried to hack into our clients' information and they've tried to therefore tried to get into financial information and one of the things that we've gone to recently is uh the multi factor factor authentication for uh to protect our email and and to protect our uh the the box we use or the the hosting service we use for all of our our past username and password so the uh the multi-factor authentication that's really a pretty simple process and it's a process that most people are familiar with because most banks or financial institutions use that right now it's where you try to log in and they and they text a uh, a code to a to a phone number that you provided in the past so most people are familiar with that multi-factor authentication and that's just something that we we felt that we needed to go through It's something very simple but it provides a, a a good level of security measures that we didn't have in the past so the you, what's your experience on that multi-factor authentication is that something that most people uh most individuals use it or is it a an uh, entity or an institution-type security level, or do you only see it typically in the large institutions?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Some people call it MFA for the multi-factor, some 2FA if it's just a two-factor authentication. Um, and like you said, it's when I try to log into something, there's a secondary notification being sent. And so that can happen in two different ways. So one way is sort of the upfront. I can't get in the front door until I receive and post that code. And the secondary way, which occurs, for example, on social media, maybe Facebook or LinkedIn or Gmail, for example, uh, where I'm able to log in without a secondary password on some circumstances, but a notification that the login occurred has been sent and so that I can maybe push them back out the back door once they're in the room with me. So different ways of doing it. And the the problem is on the secondary way where it says, Hey, we've noticed a login from a strange device is if the bad guys are in fact sophisticated, then they can go and block that notification from occurring. So it does make sense to occasionally, even on your social media, there's a way that you can go in and look and see, how many devices are currently logged in and from where? And sometimes you'll be surprised. You'll be like, well, I guess I logged in from a home computer. I logged in from my work computer and I didn't all the way log out or I left cookies on it. Maybe from a phone. Did I have an old phone that's sitting in a drawer somewhere? And it's, you know, it thinks that it's still hooked up if I powered it up again. And so you can then occasionally sort of kick everybody out and start fresh. And that way, if a new person logs in, at least a notification should be sent. But, Given the opportunity, and these are optional things to set up an additional verification method, I absolutely recommend that you take advantage of that so that you are given at least an opportunity for notification. Picture like this, you know, you come home and you have a lock on the door, or do you have a lock and a deadbolt, or do you have a lock and a deadbolt and a bar, you know, the more methods that somebody has to cross, the more fences they have to climb to get in,
1: the greater chance that they go, ah, eh, let's just go pick somebody that doesn't lock their door at night. Um, and so, it doesn't mean that
0: if you aren't a specifically targeted individual, that they're not going to take the time and can't get through it. But it at least filters out, keeps out most of the bad guys.
1: Yeah, and there's a let's talk about the some of the very easy things that people should do, and they they typically don't do it or they do a very bad job of it, and that is your email or your, your passwords, your, your username is one thing, but your passwords should be sophisticated enough and you, you should use different passwords for different applications. Don't use the same password for all of your applications and then the frequency to change those. Tell us about that. I mean, that, that sounds so simple that people think, well, surely I should do that or people do that, but that's something that people don't do frequently or they don't do well enough. We are lazy people that
0: like things easy and convenient. And unfortunately, like when uh, Yahoo was one example, that anybody that had a Yahoo email, uh, that password was breached and available uh, for the bad guys to get. And the problem would be when someone is lazy and goes, well, you know, I just use ABC123 as my password on everything. And then when they got that Yahoo email, It would look up who you are, where you are, and they would use the same password that they'd already harvested in every application, for example, you had in your computer or on your phone. And chances are that it worked for a couple of different things. And so now you've inadvertently given them a key that works multiple locks as opposed to just changing some piece of it. That made it unique. So the, the actual title for that is credential stuffing. Once they get a password to use it on all the different applications that you might have, hoping that in fact you were lazy about it and didn't make change of something. So, so let's talk about passwords for a minute. There's a few ways to make it an easy thing to remember for a complex thing and something that's changed over time. So the things to remember if you're going to pick a password, you know, you can use anything from Neighbors, neighbors, kids, uh, pet names—you know, deceased pet names, kid, uh, the the na- street names of where you've lived. You look around your office and you see pictures. So words that maybe you're spelling backwards, or you're just using the first letter of those series of words that you're looking at on your meat wall. Well, whatever that is, that make it complex and nonsensical. Uh, a brute force attack. It uses dictionary words, so you want to try to use non-real words whenever possible. That's why the first letter of a series of sentences may be from your favorite song. It's easy to remember the first five words of your favorite song. You use the first letter from each of those, and you can vary them, whether it's capital or not. And then you'll have something on your keyboard that you look at that makes sense that is maybe a, a specialty character um, and then maybe a number, And those become sort of the basic, the base for the soup of the complex thing that becomes a series of soups in your different passwords. Now you can pick a separate special sign or word or character or number or letter, and you have time, even if you have to change it every few months, you only have, you have a sequence, you know, if you pick a letter as your last item, okay, so I have that many letters in the alphabet that over three-month changes, they'll get me for through a few years of that, and all I'm having to remember for this item, and even if I write it down or put it in my phone, I'm not writing all the complex stuff in the beginning that's my secret suit base. I'm just putting those extra things that I need for this particular device's password that are unique and different for each different app that I might have. And, you know, you can always hide that somewhere in your phone under somebody's address, you know, a made-up person, whatever it is, and you can always reverse or put in something, you know, as a sort of a, it'll mess up whoever, if they get into your phone and they try to harvest the data, it messes up the sequence of it. Right. But here's what's interesting on the password front. You know, it used to be you had these sort of lockbox where you'd pay extra to have a vault where it would store your passwords. And then you got into these things where the phones, where your your face. ID or your thumbprinting, right? And so now, no matter what it is on my phone, if I click Save Password, there's a place on my Apple phone, for example, where you know I'll touch the login ID. It'll bring up a box that says Passwords. I click there and put my thumbprint on, and it'll just bring up and prefill the password. But there's a there under my settings. I can go in there under Passwords again. I have to thumbprint to get in, but it'll list every single password that I have saved in my phone. Every one of them lifted up fully. So if my phone got fully hacked, you know, the question was, is it safe to have all your passwords in one place? Well, they're there. Right. On your phone right now, if, in fact, you're saving them, they're just sort of password protected within the phone. So is it going to be potentially an issue? Sure. Now it becomes an issue of, all right, do I understand the risk? And more importantly, if and when, assume when, I have an incident where there's a theft of my identity or a hacking. Do I know what to do? Because if I know, if somebody breaks into the house, and I'm sitting on the couch and I've got a gun to my left. first thing I'm doing is putting that gun in my hand and aiming it at that general person. And you know, we—I know what the next step is. They're probably leaving at this point. Huh. If somebody hacks you and takes over your bank account or starts making charges on your charge card, do you know what the first thing to do is? If your computer screen locks out and says ransomware, do you know what the first thing to do is? If you don't, that's the problem. And that's where people get in trouble. And that's why you might want to consider an outside vendor that you can pay for identity theft restoration or to have an IT person that, that you are regularly communicating with that you know you're going to engage them for work reasons uh, to come in and fix
1: this. And they sort of have their system laid out. You know your first step is to call them right
0: so whatever it is whether it's self-done or or outsourced
1: good good points and that is that's very good information good good tips on the password how to change that how to make it and i use the the last software so you talked about the locks box lock box to keep all your passwords in i i use that i used to do something where i'd keep it all on a notepad and the thing got to be a hundred passwords or whatever so you know the with what we've got, I mean, the, the number of usernames and passwords that we have to retain is just, it, it's too much to remember that, and you feel unsafe to write that down on pieces of paper and leave it somewhere, or even to, to leave it open on your computer, because that would be something that a hacker would be very, it'd be very easy to find, so I went to the uh, the LastPass software, and I and, uh, have found that pretty, pretty user-friendly, and I feel like that's pretty secure as well, so... Um, Anyway, so I've got that. So we talked about some of the basic things to change your password. So that's a very simple thing to do. So there's physical things that we should do, too, and it's the use of public Wi-Fi networks. So let's talk about some of the physical things that we should do, like don't leave your computer visible in the front seat of your car when you leave. Don't go into uh, public places and log into the public Wi-Fi. So there's other, other things that we can do to protect the physical uh, nature of our of our computer and our and our protected items on that computer. Yeah, uh,
0: never ever 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 use public Wi-Fi, free public Wi-Fi especially. Um, it's just you just don't know what you're getting. It, it'll tell you half the time when it pops up. This is unsecure insecure whatever yeah. um you, you get on the airplane and it says you know oh i want to log in and start doing work from here and the first thing it tells you is a non-secure network feel free to log in and it's like but well, hold on a minute all right so you know uh, it's just not a wise thing to do you know put off what you can put off do your work in a secure not connected environment and then download it later um but public means public for a reason so was, I, I, I added some slides to um, my recent presentation on the topic of VPN or virtual private network. Uh, like Nord is one of the, the big name ones that does that. And, and the question came up, you know, what does that really secure? And, and it's kind of like trustee rapport in a light sense. Trustee rapport being what banks, most of them, many of them are offering free of charge because it basically creates a tunnel conversation between you and your device and wherever it is you're going. And it sort of, in that sort of environment, helps others to not be able to see in and see what's going on. But it doesn't mean that if there's a bad guy on the other end that you're not necessarily giving them a direct line to where you are. You know, often it'll hide your true IP address, but it's still your opening communication between the two ends and so there are different providers of that service that offer different levels of protection or encryption or service. And you just need to be aware of what that is. But bringing it all back around, you know, if there's ever a time that you need to get online, you never want to do it at a coffee shop. Um, just take your phone and make it a mobile hotspot only if you've created a password on your own phone so that right. not anybody can just, oh, you know, free Wi-Fi. But, but I do want to share this i think i mentioned it one time before if i'm a bad guy and and i'm looking at a laptop computer sitting next to me walking in the door at the coffee shop you know and and my intent is uh unscrupulous things then what do i want to do i will take my phone and i will name my phone the name of the shop where i'm sitting
1: yep
0: so now it's you know it's it's ben's coffee cafe is the name of my phone and the password is free wi-fi or i look on the wall because it'll often say the password for the free Wi-Fi is, and that's what I will make the password into my phone. And so now you have just logged in your device to my phone because I'm sitting closer to you than the Wi-Fi signal across the building, and so I have the ability to harvest the data or information if I want to. And how do you know where you've logged in? Did it work when you log in? Are you on the Internet? Yeah, must be the right place. Use the password on the wall, must be the right place. And that's really a concern, even at... You know, you're a business, and you say, well, I'm going to offer my customers this service of free Wi-Fi. Well, what if the bad guy's sitting in the car outside the front doing just as I explained? Your valued customer says, oh, well, I walk into the so-and-so store. I use their free Wi-Fi. And now they're logging into the bad guy, and they're going to potentially be impacted or experience a loss. And now do they get to stay your customer or not? Right because you know if they haven't protected themselves and if they're not uh, savvy enough to not use the free public Wi-Fi then you know what what does that mean to your longevity with them in a business relationship it's just a risk that uh, that you want to avoid
1: yeah those are man those are great examples those are scary too because that that could happen so easily so if you have if you go into a coffee shop or the airport or anywhere else and you sit down and you want to work and you've got let's say you've got a uh, your cell phone has a hotspot capability on it. So uh, you're good to com- to connect your computer to the hotspot on your phone. However, you're, you're protected there, but don't make the mistake of connecting your phone to the Wi-Fi in the public space. Use your cell phone exactly. data. Exactly. Right.
0: And so uh, one of the slides we have, we have a quote that when it came on the TV, it was on Headline News, I jumped up and took a picture of it, Uh, So I was flying a couple of weeks ago, and I looked, and they have chairs now. You look, little power port things. Some of them are straight USB ports, and some of them are electrical outlets. And all I would say is always choose the electrical outlet, never the USB port. But here's the quote I'm going to read. Warning, airport USB hubs. Plugging into a public USB port is kind of like finding a toothbrush on the side of the road and deciding to stick it in your mouth. You have no idea where that thing has been. And this was from uh IBM security via Forbes magazine that Headline News had
1: picked up. Wow. Yeah, I've got that uh let's see if I can get it sized correctly. I've got it on the screen now. That that is <laughs> that's so true, but man, I tell you what, that is uh it's scary, isn't it? I mean it seems so simple because you think if if they make this available certainly it's safe. I mean who wouldn't have why would they put something available for the public to use unless it's safe? Well, they put toilets
0: out in public. That doesn't mean I'm sitting on one. I'm just
1: saying. (laughs) Good good analogy.
0: Sorry about that, but you might want to edit that one out. (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, we're all about convenience, aren't we? Whatever the quickest, easiest thing is, that tends to be what we take advantage of, and that's what the bad guys are counting on. You know, in this uh, COVID quarantine environment, uh, it, it was interesting to watch one of this thing through, uh, and it had the bad guys go through and pick up a bunch of little mini USB sticks, and they loaded them with malware, and they had like a half dozen of them, and they walked around the parking lot of the building that they wanted to hack into, and they dropped them around people's cars where they were bound to walk by them huh. on their way to or from the vehicle, hoping that just one person goes, ooh, look, free. Picks it up and shoves it in their computer, and you know, does the malware download. Wow! So <laughs> terrible. That's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of computers will not accept outside USB devices, just because you know, where's the thing made? Where's it been before? You know, what's on it?
1: Yeah. Very good. Well, Ben, we are running out of time. This has been a an enlightening show. This has been, I think, one that that um, heck nobody likes to be attacked through the the cyber the ether but it's stuff that we deal with i mean we're all technology driven we carry around a phone in our pocket all the time we're always on our cell phone most of us carry a laptop around so we're we're not our, our computer is not left at the at the office where we have probably decent protection there we're carrying that thing around with us all the time we've got the ability to to connect to wi-fi anywhere a lot of that is public and dangerous like you said so you wouldn't pick the toothbrush up off the floor and stick it in your mouth so do not plug into public wi-fi so very good point there and somebody even made a great slide with that so uh thank you so much for joining us man it's been another great show and and uh always good information you you dial it down to practical simple terms that we can all use and things that we unfortunately a lot of us have seen and dealt with so we don't want to be hacked we don't want to we don't want to have our data breached And we want to make sure that we're safe and secure. So good tips for us to live by on a daily basis. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to you joining us on another show. So, Ben, great background. Love that Crab Island at Destin, Florida. So all of you that haven't visited that, join us at Crab Island. Ben, thank you and have a great day. I am your host, Charles Musgrove, at Answers That Count. Check us out on all the popular podcasts. You know where to get your podcasts, so check us out there, Answers That Count. Check us out on AnswersThatCount.com. We're on YouTube. We've got a Facebook page, so like us, listen to us, subscribe to the channel. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.
0: Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit answersthatcount.com.